Welcome to the Educator State of Mind podcast, the best daily resource for educators to thrive at work and flourish in life. I'm your host, Jake Ruzzi. Every day, we'll explore tips, tricks, tools, practices, and stories to help you achieve and maintain a healthy life-work balance while working in education. Let's get to it. You're tuning in for a very special episode today because I am not alone. That's right, I have a guest on the show today. Bridget is going to be telling us all about the school that she works at in Illinois called the Alexander Lee Center for Autism. We'll talk a little bit about the program that they have to offer and kind of some of the supports that they offer for their students, but we're also going to talk about things that we're all facing, like staffing shortages and how to make more with less. And we'll talk a little bit about some of their training programs that they've been successful with, how they've taken adversity in their school, how they've taken the loss of some key staff members and turned it into a really great opportunity to create some long-lasting change for the better. Uh, I think you're really going to like this one. So without further ado, here's Bridget. Welcome, Bridget. I am super excited to have you on the show today. Uh, you work in a pretty cool place. And so I think our listeners are really going to be excited to hear about it. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. So why don't you tell us a little about, about the school that you work at? work for Alexander Lee Center for Autism. It's a school that specializes in neurodiverse kids on the autism spectrum. And we service kids from three years old to 22. So we have a very wide range of students. We are a private nonprofit therapeutic day school. So our kids come from all over to experience what we have to offer. So how many school districts do you work with? Currently, we work with 24 different school districts in seven different counties. That's a lot of different schools to manage. So how does a student get placed at your school? or become eligible for your school? Well, it starts with a relationship between the school and the homeschool, we call it. That's where the student would normally go to school if they could provide the services for them. So we have a relationship with a lot of schools, and then when they have a student that fits the criteria of our school that they can't service, whether they don't have the proper classrooms or they don't have enough staff, they will reach out to us and they will manage everything from IEP meetings to parent visits to student tours. Our staff will go to their school and, and kind of look into the student to see if it's a good fit for our school because we have we have a wide range of needs. And so we want to make sure we can meet all those needs at our school. And so once that kind of criteria has kind of come through, the team has a meeting and they decide one way or another if they can offer this student a placement at our school. We probably get anywhere from 10 to 20 applications per month for our school. We can only service maybe 10%. We only have a student ratio right now. We have 48 students that we can service. Our school can go up to 65. We just don't have the staff to do that at this time. So that's kind of how a student gets placed. It is a long process, but once they get on board, they usually stay until they're adults and graduate out of our transition program. What kind of services do you offer for your students and what makes your school unique compared to why a school district can't service a student in their buildings? I think the, the biggest thing that we offer that some other schools can't is our staff ratios. We try to keep them smaller so that we can have more of a one-on-one -on -one ratio. Um, as the students get older, 
and they become more independent, that ratio goes down a little bit. But when they're little, we try to keep them at one-to-one. And I think offering the one-to-one care and then the small classroom sizes, our classrooms are anywhere from three to four students. And we have up into our transition, our apartment program, I think we have 10 or 12 students in there. So um, usually the, the smaller class size, the more staff that we have available to service that class. And then our great programs, we have a whole team of behavior analysts. We have a whole team of from music, speech, occupational therapy, all on staff at our school. We also have two nurses that can manage medical needs of students. So there's a lot of different things that we can offer that maybe a public school just doesn't have the resources to offer. So you contract out with those schools to then be able to service those students at a higher level. Correct. We do a contract with the school to say that these are these are the services we can provide and this is the year we'll provide them. Generally, all contracts are renewed unless there's some problem between the two schools. If a student moves or if a student has become so independent that he's ready to go back to a public school. Um, That is a scenario we have had a couple times, but otherwise they generally stay with us until they get into our transition program. So a lot Mm -hmm. of neat stuff happening there. So with that and with some of the staffing shortages that you mentioned, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, we're having a very hard time keeping our, well, let me back up a little bit and say that our job our job at our school for our staff that works on the floor with the students on a daily basis, it is a hard job. It is a very hard job. 70% of our students are nonverbal. Some of them are physically aggressive um, because they don't know how to communicate, you know. So keeping staff is hard because they have a very hard job. So when we're looking at entry-level staff for our paraprofessionals, you know, they might just be new coming into education. Uh, they might not have had experience working with students with autism before. Um, they might not have had any experience working in a school before. So it's a very complex array of things that they have to learn and know and understand in a very short time period. We have a 13-week training program, which is great. And we kind of nurture them along, teach them a little bit about the kids, try to get them to see different classrooms and things. But I still think that we hire on, we bring them in for training, and I think some people just feel it's not a good fit for them or that they're not ready for such a diverse group of students or they just don't feel that they physically can handle it either because it is physically taxing as well. So there's a lot of different reasons we have a staffing shortage, but I think the the biggest reason is the, the staffing shortage in the world right now. I think we're looking at a very small group of people that we need to staff our school. And that pool is just so shrunken. I mean, it's so stretched. All the schools around us in the Chicagoland area are stretched for staff. I've actually heard of a few that had to close down. We had to close down for two days last year because we did not have enough staff to service the students. So it is a huge crisis. And it's not just us. But we're trying to do everything we can to make our our facility seem a little more desirable than other facilities at this time. And we'll see. We'll see how that works for us. What you touched on was this is a problem everyone's experiencing right now. Every school has job openings. And some of those job openings have been open. Those jobs have just been sitting there on job boards for months. You know, I know at my school, we've had job openings that are approaching a year mm-hmm. as just being open and 
even some of the candidates that we've had that apply, it's, it's weird in the other direction where they're not even close to qualified. Um, and like yeah, not we even, have that too. Yeah, not even worth giving an interview because it would just be a waste of everybody's time. We just know right off the bat it's not going to be a good fit. Or they have, we talk to them on the phone and they are like, oh, I didn't realize this is what I was signing up for. I'm not interested. Thank you. So with that, you know, I know student need doesn't go away just because you're short-staffed and your students in particular have a high level of need. So what is your school doing to be able to tackle some of these challenges? Well, they've sat down and we've restructured a couple times with our, we have what we call an A team of our staff. That's kind of our lead, our lead teachers, our lead BCBAs, our lead therapists, those kind of things. They all kind of get together and brainstorm. And as things are changing in the world, everything from when we went through COVID to our staffing shortages now, they've had to redevelop the educational system at our school. So the staffing shortage is no different. They had to redevelop how are we going to service these students. And some of the things they did was they integrated the special services that we have, like our behavior team, I said, and therapy teams and our music team, like all of the extras, and started integrating them into the classrooms. So instead of just having your core group of, you know, four students that you see that day, you're kind of, you're seeing those four students and you're participating in possibly um, helping with a lunch coverage in a classroom or going out to recess with some students so that another staff can take a break. Our biggest problem is getting our staff their lunches and their breaks because they need that. They have to have that for the day to make it, to make it doable. It, and, and it's the law besides that. Trying to bring in other staff members to do jobs that maybe they weren't assigned to do. I know being the finance manager, I do have my paraprofessional. A lot of us do that are up in the admin and we go down and we work on the floor as well. So I've been down covering lunches and doing recesses and things during my day to try to help out with the staffing shortage on the floor. And I'm not the only one. So I think everybody's kind of trying to put all hands on deck, everybody help out and see where we can go. And it's, it's been working for the, for the past several, well, maybe a year now we've had to do it. So not ideal, but we're able to service our students still. You know, even if it is working, I think we should still be clear that it's not sustainable. I am curious though, sometimes out of adversity like this, you know, and shuffling around, you've said you've had to completely redesign some of the way that you're delivering this education to your students. Is there anything that you think, any changes that you've made that are more sustainable now that once, you know, this staffing shortage gets figured out, you're, you're kind of at capacity with your staff and able to meet the level of need as intended and not having to, you know, be the finance manager, also managing lunch supervision. Is there any changes that you've seen kind of come out of necessity that you're like, oh, this is this is actually for the better now that and we might keep this once things turn around. Yeah, actually, I do. We hired we hired a couple different positions that were not necessarily paraprofessionals, but to help out our school staff because the teachers and the paras were so stretched that they couldn't get to things like setting up the kids' lunch before they got to lunch or cleaning up after them. Even you know, our kids when they want lunch, they want it now, and when they're done, they're done right now. So you, cleaning up and setting up is a problem. So we hired in some what we call school services coordinators, and they go around and do things like 
We have one assigned to each floor for the lunches, the recesses. They pick up toys. They will set up games and events outside. They will set up lunches and clean up after lunches. They'll set up for, because we have cooking programs and all that for our students. So they'll go make sure that the staff has all the equipment and supplies that they need. And then they will then in turn go clean up and, and take care of and put all those supplies back away. So they don't have say, direct student contact, but they really help out the classrooms and the teachers be able to do more education and more work with their students because they're not constantly having to go find that specific thing to do a project. Somebody's already prepared that for them. So I think that was a great thing that came out of it. We also, instead of having some of our staff that was more educated and, and could work more with the students, keeping them in the building, and we hired some bus monitors outside. So they can help with getting students on and off the bus as far as directing the traffic. And now we've let our staff that is usually with our students one-on-one, -on -one, now they can go and get them actually physically off the bus instead of before we had our staff that was teachers and our music teacher and that they were running the bus lines. Well, that's one less person that can help with the students. So I think our bus monitors is another thing that we've hired that is helping us manage our staffing crisis. So kind of shifting what we're hiring versus it's not always we don't have to have paraprofessionals. How do we help those paraprofessionals do their job? And that's kind of where we've came to hiring these extra support staff throughout the school. Yeah, that's pretty innovative to to think about, you know, how can we meet the same level of need but just in a different way. What I'm hearing is that Although there's staffing shortages, you have been able to hire, but just in a different way. Have you noticed that the way that you're approaching putting these jobs out and the kind of the the work expectation for these jobs? So now that it's different, are you getting, you know, more applicants, higher quality applicants? It's hard to say. Not being the hiring manager, I'm not sure exactly how many people she talks to or work before she finds a good candidate. But I know that hiring our um, student services team has been a lot easier than hiring our paraprofessionals because the student services team is not as physically taxing. It's, you do not have to have prior education. You know, you do still have to pass the same background checks and things, but you don't have to have as much of a skill set. So I think we're hiring a different maybe entry-level person that's maybe just graduated from high school and they're looking for something to get them started while they advance their career. We can bring them in as a school services team and they don't have to have any contact with the students. So it, it's a little less scary, I think. They get to really understand the school and how everything works. And we've had several of them go get their paraprofessional and then become student aides in the classrooms, which is great transition. But as far as hiring, I don't really know how she comes about finding each of these candidates and how many she has to kind of fish through to find good candidates. But it's just been easier to hire the school services teams than the paraprofessionals. And the teachers were short on teachers, but Illinois in general is extremely short on teachers. I don't know if other states are, but I know we are. I've been you know, cruising through the educator teacher forums and it's everywhere. It's happening all over the place. I mean, where I'm at in Colorado, 
every school has open positions, hiring high quality candidates, or honestly, just candidates at all is really, really difficult. I think a lot of people, as you've described, are really feeling that effect in their ability to serve their students. I want to go back to what you were talking about with your your 13-week training program. I think that's something that's a little bit unique for your school uh, in the sense that, like, I know my school, we don't have a formal training program for how we bring new staff in. But we kind of just piece it together and trial by fire, a lot of it. Uh, what have you seen be successful with with your training program? I think really the introduction to the school and the program itself by slowly introducing them to little parts of it because we will bring in new staff on certain Mondays. We have certain hiring days throughout the year so that we can have a group of maybe three or four new staff that come in. So they'll come into our training center and get a brief overview of the school in general. They'll kind of learn about the HR process and that stuff. And that's like their day one. So they're not thrown right into a classroom. They're kind of like, okay, this is the school. Let me get my feel for it. Let me find my way around. They get a little tour. You know, it's it's really very relaxed their first day or two. And they get to learn more than they, they're doing. And then we have different services come in and talk to them about the different parts of the school. We have our, our occupational therapist will come in and tell them what they do. Our teacher will come in and tell them what they do. And, it, and down the line and kind of tell them a little bit about what each person's role is within the school. Then we kind of jump into the students and our students, we go into the programs that we offer them, what our student base looks like, what kind of needs our kids might have. And by now they are going into shadowing within a classroom. So they'll go see a classroom for 10 or 15 minutes, get moved to another classroom for 10 or 15 minutes. And they're just observing. They're not, they're not there to do anything, no interventions, no, no hands-on, nothing. And I think just kind of getting them baby steps into the classroom helps them feel more confident because they've seen some things, they've, they've participated a little bit, but they haven't had the responsibility of a student yet. So then in our training, we also go through and we explain each student. They get to learn and read about each student, each student's IEP goals. They go through all of their needs that are met and what their, maybe some of their behaviors that they're trying to work on. They get to learn about each student's needs. And that's in a controlled setting, not in the classroom. So they kind of have a really good grasp of what they're walking into by the time they're, they're assigned to a class. The other thing that we do with each one of them is go through, where do you feel most comfortable? Do you like working with the little kids? Do you like middle school? Do you like high school? You know, you've kind of observed the whole school. Where did you feel like you fit? So we don't just take somebody and go, you know what? We need you in class seven. Here you go. We try to feel out the person and see where the best fit would be. We have needs all over the school. But some people might be more willing, say I have a person in, you know, my first grade classroom, but they really want high school and this new person coming in really wants first grade, we'll move them around. So we want to keep our employees' wants and needs in our decision to where they're placed and how much, you know, background information they get on the students and uh, really try to make them feel comfortable before they're required to be the caregiver for, for a child all day. I love that. I really love that approach of, 
you know, putting the staff and employee needs at the forefront of the way that you're introducing them to the school. I think, you know, one thing, having had experience working in short staff buildings, I know somebody listening is going to be thinking, okay, that's great. You know, I, I, w- I too would love to have a 13 week training program where we introduce all this stuff slowly and people are respected and, you know, they get to choose where they want to be. But at the end of the day, I got a job that needs to be done. These kids need to be taken care of. And I don't have time to be going through and holding somebody's hand to be able to do this for 13 weeks before they're even actually starting their job to some degree. Like I need it now. Have you run into that mindset and kind of what, what do you do to kind of hold that line of like, no, we're going to take this slow. We're going to be intentional and we're going to support our staff so that we can support our students for the, for the long term. Well, I, I want to be clear. They do hit, they do hit the floor running, so to say, um, working in their classrooms before the 13 weeks. So I would say the first week is a lot of training and observation and then they slowly get integrated into the classroom, but they're pulled out for other trainings like bus evacuations and fire drills and all those kind of things. And more specifically, they'll be pulled out for our behavior intervention trainings and how to work with specific students. So they they do get to work before the 13 weeks. So it's not that they're they're not in the classroom before that. We do get a lot of kickback. Recently, we had some really great trainers. We specifically picked from our staff of paraprofessionals and picked two really unique, wonderful individuals who had been with us for a long time to do some training. And the program was going great. They had a curriculum set up. They had all their training schedule. It was going great. And our staff was sticking, you know, so we'd get a new employee and they would stay which was great. It wasn't a, you know, three weeks and we're out type of a thing. So we were having a lot of great success. And then we happened to lose those two fantastic employees um, to another school, which was very sad. And we've been trying to pick up our training program ever since. And what we did to revamp that, because we had to rethink that whole program, was we really broke it up into teams and we broke our school up by teams and we said, okay, we have our HR team, our administrative team, our special services team, our behavior team, our teaching team, you know, and we had each one of those teams put together a small training program of things that they wish that new oncoming staff knew about, about their job and their school and education. And that little bit of training became part of our training program. So each part of our school participates in small pieces of the training, and that creates a 13-week training environment. So it's not all on one staff or one program to say, hey, you got to come up with all the curriculum and you got to do all the training. So you don't have to hire another staff. We took it upon our school that everybody kind of pitch in. Um, even in finance, I have my own training. PowerPoint, I kind of come in, I take an hour and a half of their time and tell them how we get funded, how money comes into the school, how you're going to get your paycheck. So I think everybody pitched in again. We all put all hands on deck. How do we do this training? What do we want them to know? And and it's working. So you just got to be creative and try to come up with how do we use the resources we have to still continue to do something that was working for our school. I really like the shift that you made in your approach from we have these two really fantastic trainers who they're just they're on it. The training program is fantastic. They're owning it. 
But then we see what happens and this happens all over the place. Those people leave, they move on to other opportunities and we're super happy for them. But then we're left with like, oh crap, what do we do now? Because they were so great and they just kind of held on to spearheading all of this. Now what do we do? And I really like your approach of like, okay, that worked, but only as long as they were here. How do we spread that out so that it's now a school thing? We're building this into our culture of everybody kind of has a hand in welcoming new staff and getting them up to speed and really integrating them into our community so that, you know, for the long term, we have people that stay and people that know what they're doing and people are getting really good at what they are good at. You know, for you, that's finances and you're, you're spearheading that because that's what you do for a teacher working in the classroom. They're spearheading what they do for the paraprofessional, for the student support team. Everybody's pitching in with their parts and it's all coming together for one cohesive culture. I really like that approach. Assuming it wasn't easy to get there. So what, what were kind of the, some of the roadblocks that you, that you ran into with trying to like, you know, just disseminate this responsibility and, and kind of delegate some of that? I think it goes in ebbs and flows in schools. You have a time within the school frame where people shift their jobs to other schools or other opportunities or 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 they move or advance or go back to school or something. Um, and we had lost several key staff at the same time. But basically it was, you know, we need to we need to start over. We need to look back and go, what's working, what's not working? And then as the team kind of got together, like I said, we have an A team that's kind of our leaders of our different programs. They're fantastic. They filled the gaps. They were like, where's where's the most need for the programs that are working? Let's get those running. And we had a lot of kickback. We did. We had a lot of staff that didn't want to. They're like, oh, that's not going to work. Or um, I don't want to be in the classroom or whatever, you know, whatever the the they didn't want to do. So I think with every change you make within a school or anywhere, you're going to have a, a time of what we call kind of storming, you know, so you make a change and everybody kind of gets all frustrated and all upset about it. And then it kind of starts to become a normal everyday occurrence. And then there's an acceptance and a, um, uh, uh, not just an acceptance, but people are actually starting to get behind it and help build the momentum forward. So it took time and energy and effort, and it didn't just flow easily. But I feel like the core people that are still with our school and the new people coming on really want to make it successful. So they're really passionate about any any way that they can advance the school in a positive way. Just silly things like, I just want to bring this up. We had a potluck the other day and it was the most successful potluck we've had. And that might seem silly, but we were so excited because all the school came together and everybody brought stuff in. It was for Thanksgiving feast and everybody participated, which is nearly impossible to get in a large setting like that. It, it, you, there's always somebody who, you know, is the Debbie Downer and doesn't want to do it. And, you know, they kind of drag down another couple people. And But to have your whole staff participate in an event by choice says a lot about how they're integrating right now and how they're working together as a team. So even though we had all of those struggles and those, you know, people not wanting to maybe participate or whatever, they did end up coming together as a team, working together and making the school not just survive during 
times of struggle, but we're thriving. We're really doing fantastic things at our school, even though we're short staffed and some staff is doing two or three jobs. They are. We're hoping to have more staff, you know, but it's slow. You want to find the right people. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, the kids deserve to have the right people in the building and and on the team. And And I think what you guys have been able to do over there with building that culture and being really intentional with your hiring, despite being in a staffing shortage and how do we make do with what we have is, is pretty inspiring. As we're, we're, we're ending our time together here, is there anything that people should know if they're trying to really tackle a culture that, you know, maybe it's not quite where they want it to be in their school, but they're working on some of these things and getting that shared responsibility and building that community. Um, from your perspective, having kind of seen that play out, what do you, what do you think is one takeaway that people should, should think about as they're trying to do this in their schools? I think one of the things that we had to really do as a team is we had to show an immense amount of respect for the other people on our team. So we had to take like our lead teacher, for instance, she come to us with great ideas. You show her the respect and you listen to her ideas and you try to implement those. And I think by showing respect to our leaders, they were showing respect to the other staff and it started to snowball in our school. And Instead of asking, you know, we, we made a joke at an all staff one day, but it's it's not really a joke. It was, you know, instead of looking at somebody and saying, you know, how was your day? Ask them, how did you make somebody else's day better? Or who made your day better today? You know, who helped you out today that didn't need to help you out, that just did it because they wanted to? And who did you help out today? So we've kind of made it a culture to kind of go around and ask these questions a little bit of people so that we're always thinking and respecting the other people around us at our school. And is it everybody? No, but we're trying to make it more of a culture to really try to help each other out and then listen as other people have ideas and things that could help grow our school because there's so many great minds in education and some of them are stifled. And I think with being where we're at in our school, being a private therapeutic day school, we have a little bit of an advantage because we kind of get to create our own culture and see how it works. We're not restricted by a governing body, so to say. So culture-wise, we have the opportunity to do unique things that maybe don't happen at public schools. Like I'm trying to think of some silly stuff like our our team will meet up after work and have we have a, a what was it called? It was a paint and I think it was a paint and sip. Everybody brought coffee and stuff and we painted. We have these wellness committees that we get together and we do after after school hours. We have a school social hour where like they sing karaoke and stuff with our team. So there's a lot of team building and, and respect trying to work with the other team members that I, I feel is what brings us all together and makes us all want better things for our students and our staff. Well, that's really inspiring. Thank you so much for, for your time today and kind of sharing a little bit about your experience with, with your school. Um, where can people go if they want to learn more about your program, what you have to offer for students? And, you know, if they're so inclined, even maybe support your program. Oh, that'd be fantastic. We have a website. It's A-L-C-A 
That stands for ALCA, and that's our abbreviations that we use because Alexander Lee Center for Autism is really long. So Kind of a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. So we use ALCA as our abbreviation. So it's alcacenter.org. And then you can learn all about our students and staff, and you can even um, request some information through our website if you would like to learn more. Right. And I will put all those links in the show notes. So Bridget, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And we will be speaking soon. Thank you so much. I enjoyed my time. Well, and there you have it. That's all about Alexander Lee Center for Autism. We could have spent hours talking about this program. It's super cool. I've been able to see it myself. And I think if we're lucky, we might be able to get someone else from that school on the show to talk a little bit more in depth about the way that they're supporting their students. There's so much to learn and there's so much good stuff happening at that school. I really want to have them back. So thank you for listening and we will catch you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Educator State of Mind podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, rate, and leave a review. Your feedback is extremely valuable because together we can make the show the best daily resource for educators. And did you know that you can get involved with the show? If you'd like to learn more about being a part of the podcast, head over to jakeruzi.com forward slash podcast for more information. I accept submissions for episode ideas, sound clips to include in the show, and invitations for interviews. If you have something important to say, let's get it on the show. Thanks again, and have a spectacular day.